We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we've come full circle on this pod as I'm going to get slightly little sentimental here uh, for you. We started this pod in the Denver series in 2020. Uh, Restarted the pod, I should say. We did, you know, a while as taking charge, but... It's cool. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned before that uh, it could be the, the four teams from the bubble. It is It's just kind of a cool little, you know, nuance to this. But it uh, it got me feeling a little sentimental this week, Tim, and uh, and feeling grateful for how far we've come since then with the community, the discord, the playback, um, everything with you and everybody has been awesome. And, you know, the season's not over, but doesn't mean I don't want to say how grateful I am and how awesome it is the Lakers are in the West Conference Finals, baby. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic 
Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's been a blast. I We brought it back together just because, like, I love talking basketball with you. And we've gotten to extend that to not just us talking basketball, but then talking basketball with this great community during games, before games, after games, you know, just on the Discord throughout the day. And it's made me a smarter basketball fan. And I've learned so much from you and from the community. And it's just been, I don't know, in a time where so much of what I see on social media from a basketball standpoint, I'm just like, I don't care about any of this. Like, why are we talking about this? Like, it's fun to be able to have a place where we can actually talk ball. And uh, yeah, it, it, that's a that's a neat callback. How the world has changed in just a couple of years, but the uh, playoff structure and teams have not. And the team, right? It's LeBron and AD and nobody else. And for Denver, it's, you know, they have one of our old guys in KCP and Aaron Gordon's mm-hmm. there now. And, you know, they have a different look to them as well as, you know, some of their guys who are on that team aren't even in the league anymore, right? They had Jared yeah. Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley on their team. Do, do you see, we haven't talked about this, do you see the fact that it's the same four teams as the bubble in any way validating the bubble, or do you see those as unrelated events? I didn't ever think the bubble needed validation. Um, I think it's, if you want to say anything, it's it's equal for all teams. It's maybe the crowd changed how the outcome would have gone out based on, um, I don't know, just more personal circumstances guys getting less rest or whatever who knows everyone had the same conditions and i think the level of basketball in the bubble was incredible yeah i'm with you i I agree that like it it was valid like (laughs) it was still basketball it wasn't you know the same format same structure it was just that you don't have that home court advantage which if anything hurt the one seed lakers so I don't know. It, you can point at individual players. Like AD shot out of his mind in the bubble. There are guys who shoot out of their mind every year in the playoffs because it's a small sample. And then they don't the next year. And that that's that's a normal thing that happens. Like the same – it was funny. Like we see, uh, you know, Budenholzer lose to Spolstra. That happened in the bubble. It happened again here. Like – some of the some of the stuff like that. Doc Rivers blowing a, a lead. He shouldn't even be he should not be called Doc in Philadelphia. They have one doctor there. He should be Glenn until he gets his shit together and can win a get to the out of the fucking second oh, round. Drive by for Doc. Um <laughs> so I'm so pissed off. That team's good. This team was good and they I I need to take more I need to take that into account more frequently when I'm picking teams in these uh I'm only angry because I picked them in the, the B-Ball Index playoff draft thing. Tim, are, you, are, you, those losers. are you saying you need to rely on the hashtag eye test a little bit more? The hashtag <laughs> narratives? I, I need to incorporate coaching a little bit better. Because, you know, the regular season playoffs are different games. So you can't quite fully – I don't know. And, and it's not like Doc didn't try to change things. There, there's little tweaks here and there I'd want to see. But anyway, anyway, the, the bubble was legit. Uh, I think of anything the year after that where like some teams had full home crowds and other teams didn't like that was less legit. Uh, that was annoying. But, yeah, no, that just as the arguments against the bubble being legitimate, I thought at the time were like and now think are kind of dumb. I don't think several seasons later with the teams being quite different and some of the teams have different coaches validates what we saw a couple years ago. It's just a fun coincidence. Um so I don't know. I think both sides of it are kind of silly. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's you look at the teams, incredible superstars with a lot of, you know, role player depth for pretty much every team. You know, the Heat are a little on the borderline there, but they're getting it done through their game plan, their scheme, their culture. They, you know, a lot to be said there for for Jimmy and the Heat uh, getting it done. But Tim, let's let's dive into uh 
the Denver preview. Now, I know you did a long scouting report on playback. There's video. It's on YouTube now under your channel. I encourage you guys to go check that out. I'll try to link that in this pod as well if you want some more visuals. There's some film in there. There's some data presentations. But we wanted to break it down a little bit here for, you, for people in the pod and maybe a little bit shorter uh, space so we can hit the, the main points here, Tim. So, um Starting with the Denver offense, obviously they're going up against, you know, one of the most dynamic bigs of all time in Nikola Jokic. But, you know, I think Jamal Murray is at a different level than he was in the bubble. Now, he was incredible in the bubble, and this is probably the best we've seen him at since. Um, But I think he's become a much more mature and kind of meticulous player, especially in the pick and roll. So I think we'll, we'll get into the Jokic stuff, but I'm curious... You know, looking at your scouting report, talking about his uh, tendencies in the pick and roll, trying to use that against him. And he doesn't quite shoot as often when he goes to the right uh, in pick and rolls. Is that right? Specifically with threes. Yeah. So Murray, very good pick and roll operator. He, We actually see more Murray pick and rolls than we see Jokic post-ups in a game. Like this is a big part of their offense, even though Denver doesn't run a lot of ball screens relative to other teams. It's, it's basketball. You're going to run, run a lot of pick and roll. So understanding where he's strong and weak and how to game plan appropriately based off of that, I think is crucial for this series. And he's that key guy, really dangerous pull-up three-point shooter. He, he shot 42% on pick and roll pull-up threes this year, 39% overall. Uh, but like 74% of those are him going to his left, which is a high percentage And it's even higher when you take into account that he's much more frequently running ball screens towards his right, uh, either from the left wing to the middle or from the top of the key towards the right side of the court. And you can see on film, he's just a little bit more, he's not a little bit, he's more uncomfortable shooting those pull-up threes moving to his right compared to his left. So we saw the Lakers and a couple other teams lean into going under ball screens against a guy that like, when I was scouting this, I was like, why, what, what are they doing? Why would they do this? He's so good at pull up threes. And then I watched it and like, oh, he's just turning these shots down time after time after time. He took a couple, I think he took two in the four games and he, he went like over two, but it was something that, I don't know, just like really smart. I had to do a super, super deep dive because first glance when I'm putting together my scouting reports, like, oh, obviously you can't go under this guy. The, the high level data says when you go under, it's worse and he shoots really well and pull up threes. So like, you know, cut and dry. But some of those granular tendencies, I think, are really interesting. So if he's going to his left, you know, go over. If he's going to his right, you might be able to get away with going under. And as you're going under, we can see that same benefit that we saw last round where you can help take away the short roll to to the roll man on the way to recovering to him, which is nice. So if the Lakers switch or if the Lakers are in like a high drop or a deep drop, depending on who you're playing, I think going under his ball screens going towards the right or at least mixing that in, I think makes some sense. So yeah, that was, that was definitely an area to be aware of that. I I just, I had to watch all 128 pull up threes. He took this year out of all screens to see what those tendencies look like. Do you think it's um, a practical thing to have those different coverages in a pick and roll game based on direction? Is it something that players can kind of, you know, keep in communicate? Cause sometimes you'll, they'll rescreen right away. Right. Like they'll think you're going right and then they'll just rescreen it real quick just to get that better positioning. Um, is it practical to kind of have those different coverages based on direction? It, it can be. This is just like weaking high ball screens, which we saw the Lakers do in the bubble during that title run. Uh, certain and, and often like, I don't know, at the high school level, at the college level, like you're run, generally running like whatever you run. Or it might get complex where it's like, okay, against Tom, we're going to switch. Against Tim, we're going to drop. But at the NBA level, you'll find examples where it's like, okay, on a wing ball screen, we're going to ice if it's on the left because we don't want him to go right. But if it's on the right wing, we're fine with him driving to his left because that's his weaker hand and he doesn't get to the rim as well there. So he's going to shoot more pull-ups. Same sort of deal happens at the top of the key with weaking ball screens or situationally going under. So it's it happens it just doesn't get a whole lot of attention. So it's, I don't know, I guess lesser known, but yeah, it's it's something you can build into the game plan. It wouldn't be something I'd build into the game plan for like Bruce Brown, but for Jamal Murray with him being such high volume, 
I think absolutely you can try to take that into account. Maybe you screw it up here or there and it hurts you. Uh, and to your point, you know, there are always counters to everything you can do. So you just have to keep an eye on, here's what we're going to do. If they counter it too much, then yeah, maybe we'll switch it up. But uh, it's a good way to start. And um, I also should mention his his percentage on his pull-up threes is worse going to his right than than with his left as well. So lower comfort, he's taking fewer of them, and they're their lower uh lower percentage shots and it and it makes sense too like I'm a lefty I shoot better pulling up going towards my right because when I'm kind of squaring up to the basket you don't actually face your both your feet at the rim you're at an angle so you can I don't know you're like hip and shoulder and elbow and everything squared up so as I'm driving to my right I can just jump into the shot and pull whereas if I'm going to my left I have to flip my whole like I have to flip my hips basically and those are some of the cool fadeaway shots we see Kobe and others take where, you know, they got the leg out and they're fading away. I'm, I'm here at home fading away in my chair. Um, it looks neat, but it requires so much more balance and it's really hard for threes. So that's part of why we tend to see this is like the inverse Mike Conley in the play in where he would be much more comfortable going to his right, taking the pull threes as a, as a lefty compared to going to his left. So overall, with the Jamal Murray pick and roll stuff, what do you expect the Lakers to um, live with, so to speak? You know, I think the goal is to probably include a lot of this with with Jokic, with Anthony Davis, pull him away from the rim, maybe run some stuff on the backside, weak side for other guys while AD's pulled out a little bit, similar to what, you know, the, the Warriors were trying to do. But it, yeah, I'll get into the next point when we get into Jokic post-ups, which I think we're going to see a lot of handoffs with those two this series, partly because it makes that it's a, you know, it's like a pick and roll action without being exactly, you know, the defense, the, the ball handler has the ball, you know, you can, you can fake it. Jokic can dribble into a post ISO. Um, you can do a lot of things. You get uh, Murray going downhill, make AD half to hedge and, you know, get a T Jokic with a small, like, three on two or like a four on three, even if it's not a huge advantage, it's just enough for him to, to find a lane and, and bump you off mm-hmm. the spot and get to the basket. But with Murray, what do you think the Lakers will want to live with, with his stuff in the pick and roll this series? They want to make him more of a pull-up shooter from the mid range or a, you know, having to like pass out to spot up guys that are, aren't open. Um, they want to play the action 2v2, basically. They, they don't want to need to send help. This team has some good shooters, but when Murray's on ball and Jokic is one of the guys, you know, and he's rolling, usually of the other three guys, two of them are probably not great shooters. So you can get away with sending some extra help on the, the Jokic rolls, but on the year, Murray's been just about as effective as a, as a scorer himself in ball screens and as a passer, but it's the cuts the dump offs and the rolls that really hurt you. Those have been really effective. Whereas the kickouts have not been as effective. And if you can play the action two V two with, with him trying to pull up from mid range, you know, he's, he's good at those on the regular season. He was pretty mediocre as an on ball guard at those, at those pull up middies. And you're going to get fewer free throws from those fewer offensive rebounds from those. So if you can stick AD in like a high drop coverage, and just be there to take away the immediate pull-up three to his left and then bail out and take care of Jokic. Jokic isn't the kind of elite uh, athleticism role man where he'll be able to take advantage of AD taking a half step in the wrong direction. AD should be able to recover, just like we saw last round. So if you can do that against Steph Curry, I think you can do that against Jamal Murray and send, you know help off the non-shooters, take away Jokic if you can on the way to AD recovering. Uh, that's what I'd be looking to give up. And if you can do so, you, you'll have some success. And this is what we saw the Lakers do in the regular season against these guys. And we saw it result in Jamal Murray having, he he doubled his bad pass turnover rate when playing the Lakers compared to playing anybody else. Um, these just, the passes weren't there. Jokic wasn't open and the kickoffs weren't open. So it was either he takes shots and he was pull, he was taking his own shots at a much higher rate than he normally does. When we look at the game lock second spectrum data, um, and they just weren't the best value shot. So between pushing him towards those, taking the rim away, taking the pull up three to his left away, not giving Jokic, you know, all this wide lane to roll, but then also not leaving shooters. It's like 
checking every box. And there are things Denver can try to do to counter this, but that's where you want to start in game one is make him beat you by hitting a bunch of mid-range jumpers. Along those lines, you know, I think what's going to muck that action up for them a lot is I don't think, you know, I don't think LeBron's going to guard Gordon. I don't think they're going to guard Brown on the perimeter. You know, they're going to give them the Dylan Brooks treatment. Um, They're going to surrender the wide open threes to the guys that they want to shoot some of those shots, you know, that uh, they kind of forced Golden State and and Memphis into. So, you know, uh, Brown, Brown. Not a great shooter. Uh, both of them, right? Different spelling, yep, yep. same name. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, Christian and Bruce and Aaron Gordon. And so it's going to be interesting if those guys can kind of provide enough on the defensive end or, you know, other areas. I think KCB will be fine. Um, but some of the Denver role players might have a little bit of issues there if they can't make shots. Absolutely. And when if so if Murray's in the action and Jokic is in the action, they have what six other guys in their rotation that could be out there um porter's a great three-point shooter kcp is a very good three-point shooter a plus and a three-point shot making here's everybody else bruce brown d minus aaron gordon d minus christian brown d minus jeff green f so there will be options if you are trying to make jamal murray beat you by passing out to spot up guys and you're able to pick who he's passing to the offense isn't going to fare that well. And this isn't some new discovery. When we look at Jamal Murray on the regular season, passing out to spot up shooters and ball screens, they're scoring like point, let me find this, 0.85 points per possession. Like really crappy. Not good at all. Because if you take two actually good three-point shooters, stick them in the action, of the other three guys, probably two of them won't be able to hit threes well. So given that there are those weaknesses that you can point at, and given the fact that the Lakers are already or have already identified these and run the right coverages in the regular season, I expect that to, to carry over. It's not like Ellie was just switching everything or trapping everything. Like they were doing what I would want them to be doing. And we saw them find success. We saw Murray's assist rate drop. We saw his turnover, his bad pass turnover rate rise. We saw him taking a lot more mid-range jumpers. We saw Jokic not be super involved as a role man. Um, when we look at Denver's shot quality against the Lakers pick and roll defense compared to all the other pick and roll defenses, their shot quality was the lowest against LA. If you throw out the one game AD didn't play, if you include the one game AD didn't play, I think it was like third lowest. Um, that's telling LA already knows what to do. And Hey, Denver was missing some guys. The Lakers were certainly, they had a different roster. So I'm not, I don't want people listening to this to think, oh, well, Tim's just pointing out what these two teams that don't look like the teams now did. That doesn't matter. I'm I'm trying to share that tactically, what I think the team should do by just looking at Denver in a vacuum and looking at the Laker roster also happens to match what they've already done. So we should, with a high degree of confidence, expect them to continue doing the right things from game one instead of like game four or something. This is too good a team for the Lakers to start out with the wrong answers and have a have a, a B plus or a B minus game plan in game one. You need to start out strong or you're going to lose. So this is, you know, they have to do this. And I have a strong degree of confidence that they will. Good to hear. Um, you know, we'll get to some more concerns we maybe have uh, about game one here toward the end of the pod. Uh, but for now, I think that they will be okay in this action. The one thing maybe is a nuance they could throw Tim is spacing Jokic out and using Gordon as a screener. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different things, you know, they could run more guard guard stuff for Murray. Uh, they've got some dynamic stuff, you know, obviously you want to involve Jokic a little bit, but uh, because he's one of the best players in the world with the ball in his hands, but they have other things going on for them too, where they can, they can live without it. If that's the best scenario for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, one last note, I guess the backup plan would be to switch these ball screens. That's been pretty effective from a number standpoint. And as long as it has synergy with your post defensive strategy, if, if you're going to send help, then this works. If you're trying to play Jokic 1v1 in the post, then switching ball screens doesn't really, those two strategies don't align. So that to me is a viable secondary path. And it's always good to go into a series saying that there's more than one feasible path forward. 
Because at some point, hey, maybe it takes two games before Denver is like really attacking the drop well, but maybe at some point they are and LA needs to switch it up. So it's good that you don't only, you're not only holding one card and needing it to be the right answer. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, spacing Jokic out, running with Murray or uh, Gordon a bit more. I think we could potentially see, if, if they go to that route, we could potentially see the Lakers stick AD on Gordon as a non-shooter, someone they could sag off of during other actions when Jokic is on ball, but then in ball screens, great, AD is also in the action. Um, and then Jokic can stand at the three-point line with Rui all he wants. And then if, if he tries to back Rui down and you've got a double-the-post strategy, we're, we're fine. So th- we're going to see that tactical chess match, and I'm really excited to see it because I think both of these coaches do a pretty good job with that. It was it was a good series, Vogel and Malone uh, in 20 yeah, with yeah. the adjustments. We had a good time breaking it down. And Tim, moving on to uh, Jokic, it reminds me of our discussion back then. You know what I can remember of it is how do you defend this guy in the post? How do you blitz the best quarterback in the league? Right? Is that the yeah. strategy? How do you defend? Because that's effectively what he is at the top of the key. And he's also an offensive lineman. If he can go right through you as like a, you know, as like a running back, if if he needs to, and just put up a little one footed, you know, floater. So, what's the strategy you think to kind of contain him in the post? In the post, it, it starts by looking at like, I guess my process is all right. Well, what has he done on the year? What has been most effective? And then what can LA do? How do those things align on the season? If you just let him try to score himself, he scored 1.21 points per possession. That's really, really good uh, points for scoring possession. If on his pass outs, they're scoring one point per possession. So pretty, you know, that's a pretty significant difference if he's going to post up 30 times in a game or something. Um, so already making him a passer rather than a score, there's some, you know, some credence to that. When we look at the foul rates, and this I think is another factor for the Lakers and a bit different from the title team, a couple of years ago, they don't have a deep big man bench that they trust. If AD gets in foul trouble, the Lakers will lose. And so they, you need whatever strategy you have, it has to, you know, try to be most effective in lo- limiting their efficiency, but also be viable in terms of not getting in foul trouble. And then also has to have synergy with your pick and roll defense. And to me, sending help has to be that thing. When you look at the foul rate that Jokic draws uh, against double teams versus 1v1, it is like substantially lower. It's like halved. And it's because he becomes a passer. And I'm not just including, you know, him drawing fouls, but on his passes, those guys shooting or cutting to the rim, they're drawing fouls less frequently than Jokic going 1v1 is. So that's what I would be looking to do. And among, you know, sending help, there are different ways to go about that. You can, we've seen teams against like Anthony Davis stick guys at like the elbows and the blocks and form like a box around the paint. And they do that because when he's facing up, it's harder for him to drive either direction around the guy in front of him. That doesn't work against Jokic because he's not trying to drive around you. He's trying to back you down. He's not, there's no driving around. It's just straight to the rim, under control, not trying to draw any offensive fouls, but I'm just going to slowly be stronger than you until I get to a good position and then I'm going to throw up a a shot. So that doesn't work. That's out. I saw some teams try to do that. Minnesota Phoenix. It stunk. It was a dumb idea. Shouldn't shouldn't be the path forward. Because um, it's just not a fit for defending him and his style of play. Now you can then send help from the strong side. Let's say he's at the right block. He gets a post feed from the right wing. You can help off the guy at the right wing to just, you know, dig down and then recover. Or you could just actually double him. Um, those are two paths. And then in addition to that, if you are going to double, do you then bump a perimeter defender over from the weak side to cover the immediate pass out? That's a question. And then on other, among other help types, you can send help from the baseline. You can again double, or you can just kind of pack the paint, not quite quite make a box around it, but have a body there so that once he dribbles, then you go to double. Or if he tries to back you down, he's doubling into a, he's backing down into a double team. There, there are a lot of, you know, nuanced ways you can approach this. For me, there are three things I care about when it comes to slowing Jokic down. I want fast pressure, and the reason for that is if you give him time, he will get closer to the rim, which makes any shot he puts up more effective. It puts you in a worse position in terms of fouling, and it makes any passes he's going to make have better angles. So you need to pressure fast. 
you need to pressure aggressively. You can't, just like with the quarterback analogy, you can't play Patrick Mahomes with five wide receivers against four defensive backs and not be like, or even, we'll just say it's even numbers. If you give him time and he's got even numbers, he's going to find somebody. So if you're going to give up those even numbers, you need to be in his face and make it so not, the whole field isn't available anymore. He's need to get the, gets the ball out fast and he can only throw to a couple routes. So fast, it needs to be aggressive. And I want to, if I'm going to pick an area of my defense that's weak, strong side versus weak side, I want him to need to pass through the help on a skip pass out to the weak side. I don't want him to be able to just make the pass to right in front of him for a guy standing 10 feet away from him for a three. So when we think about those three things and how we can accomplish them, I want to double from the strong side aggressively and then behind the double, rotate the next perimeter defender over. So he's got a dude in his face. He doesn't have time to actually get closer to the rim and he can't pass out to the dude right in front of him. So now he's in a position where he needs to make sure he doesn't travel. He can't commit any offensive fouls. He's got to pass through Anthony Davis and another guy. And it, we're giving up a 3v2 on the weak side. Th- against that, they will just kick out for threes or to attack and close out. They will often, if Aaron Gordon's over there, he's going to cut to the rim because he's a great strong finisher at the rim. That's something I'm worried about. Or so they'll either cut him trying to get in front of one of the two defenders and make a, you know, seal himself off to get a layup or dunk, or he'll try to pin in that defender so you can make the skip pass or a pin and flare screen. Um, that's all they do. That's all they're going to do against this. And I feel okay about the Lakers in that situation as long as they're rotating well, as long as they're pressuring Jokic and us understanding that among those three players, probably two of them are bad shooters. And that makes it easier to defend as well. If you're going to try to cut both the bad shooters, you're just cutting into the numbers. So that to me is the base look that I'd be trying to, to leverage. It's confusing because usually if you double from, you know, if you leave, if you're doubling from the left side of the field, the football field, that's where the numbers for the offense are. If you can pass, you know, over the, the, the blitz, but if we rotate guys over, you know, to that, now my instincts are wrong. And so that's an element here that I think is really important. That's the concept. I looked at the film. This is actually what the Lakers used most against Jokic. And it worked best against Jokic. I looked at what Minnesota did. And I looked at what Phoenix did. Logged play-by-play. Phoenix did this 9% of the time. It worked really well. They didn't do it enough. And the other things they were doing weren't working. They tried to play in 1v1 like more than half the time. They got rocked. It was a dumb, dumb strategy from my perspective. Um... Minnesota figured this out, but they figured this out in game five (laughs) and they lost in game five. So they figured it out. Again, it worked really well, but they figured it out too late. The Lakers know this. They've done this. They have the personnel to do this and they're going to do this in game one. And again, you're not going to stop, stop him. We're not looking for the Jokic stopper. You're looking to slow him down. The the Jokic, the the, the retardants, like it's not going to fully stop, but just enough, um, and I think we should expect, if we can get that for the entire series, you have to feel more confident than if it's like, oh, I don't know. We've never seen him play before. We got to figure this out starting from scratch. Like uh, that gives me confidence. I mean, just what you started with, the difference between 1.2 points per possession and, and one is massive. You know, if I still recall, what is it? It's like 1.06 or seven is kind of average. Or uh, Yeah, if you can get over one, you're doing a pretty good job. But one is like slightly below average, you know, average somewhere around there, right? It, it might have been inflated this year. It used to be. Right. You'll hear if you see coaches talking about it on Twitter, it'll be one. I think the average a couple seasons ago was like 0.95 in half court situations. Uh, I'd have to look it up right now. But yeah, if you could like if you can get to 1.2, you're doing a really darn good job. Yeah. So I, I think the Lakers will will do you know know what to do with him i also think they have the right players on the weak side there's something when you can do is it's like a it's like a hard stunt almost selling that a hard double's coming right and i can see schroeder doing this really well um and then you you know you're you're not gonna send the full double because Jokic will make that pass when it's there so hard digs you know what i mean even from just a, a quick help He'll pass it to that one pass away. 
so you can't dig too hard, you know? You got to you got to find that balance there of he's seeing the help almost all the time. So you see he'll see you going hard and it's almost that fake out where you're going to stunt and you're going to retreat back cuz you expect that pass to come. And there's LeBron, there's Anthony Davis. I think Vanderbilt's underrated. You know, he gambles and kind of falls asleep too often, but he's good in in passing lanes, Schroeder. So I I feel confident the Lakers would be able to at least maybe bait him into some passes that seem better than they actually are. Yeah, that's a great call out. That is another key thing I talked about on the video is you you don't want to do the same thing every time because then he just it's like automatic reads. You want to do some of that stunting, but not actually double. Because if he's if he's got a live dribble, you stunt, he picks it up, and then you recover. Now nobody's open. Or if you, uh, you know, occasionally are sending help from the baseline, and he's so used to he's keeping an eye out on Dennis, you know, digging at him. But then as he's doing that, whoop, there, here comes Vando from behind him to pick his pocket. That sort of just confusion we want to create. Uh, that's, that's what the Lakers should be looking for. The ratio I thought of was if you can go like 80%, one thing, 20% mixing in other stuff, you're going to mostly be doing what works best, but having your curveball or your change up used enough that it can't be automatic for you. Cause he has to be thinking about those other things. He can't be playing off instinct. He has to actually read the floor and make the right decision. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very much a superstar driven offense, at least to my understanding, Tim. Is there more than, you know, KCP spot ups or Michael Porter Jr. movement shots that that really worry you as far as offensive actions? It, it seems like they flow mostly through Jokic and, and Murray in those two, you know, pillars. Yeah, that's most of it. Now, they will run a lot of really smart set plays. And they'll run dribble handoff actions and there's a bunch of cutting and they do a really good job of just getting dudes moving around so that Jokic can try to ISO or if you send help, hit a, hit a cutter. Uh, so you just need to be aware. You need to be paying attention. You need to not get face cut or back cut and just locked in. You have to be locked in. You can't just be, you know, we ran our offense. I scored. I'm going to jog back. I know I have 20 seconds to just hang out in the corner. You have to be locked in or you're going to get back cut. And that's really important because that keeps, you know, that keeps LeBron not able to just like sit there and rest. That means D'Lo can't just sit there and rest or AD can't just sit there and rest. Like there, it will be a battle and these guys have to actively be engaged. Kind of like you, you were against Golden State with the cutting and the off-screen shooting. Just with this team, there's a little bit less of the off-screen shooting and it's not at anywhere near as high a caliber as the Warriors had it. I could still see Michael Porter having a big impact on this because he's a he can be a dynamic wing, you know, from the perimeter. Uh, definitely a guy who can get streaky, but somebody you can exploit on the defensive end. And I think this is going to be a big series for Rui in several ways. Um, you know, I think you did a great job talking about how, despite the complete lack of film, um, Rui on Jokic isn't completely crazy and and we might see that at least for a couple possessions even by accident you know um so what do you think then about the the rotations for the bigs is this a Wenyan series we, i was thinking tim why not play anthony davis every second Jokic plays outside of foul trouble and you need to have a, a contingency for that but i don't i don't know if i hate that yeah, and I expect to see something – I expect to see that or something very similar to that because when we look at when Jokic takes his breaks and when AD takes his breaks, they line up pretty perfectly. So we don't need the Lakers to dramatically change the rotation map for AD's minutes in order to mirror Jokic. Just keep – just playing the way you normally do, but don't have him rest at the end of the first and the third. Only have him rest to start the second and the fourth, and then, and then you're fine. Then in that case, do you – change your philosophy on maybe who the backup big is or if you want to play Wenyan or Mo or what's your thoughts on that? So I would be most interested in playing Wenyan, I think. If but when when Bamba's healthy, I'd rather play Bamba. And actually Bamba and AD together, I I like that idea. Um if so quick aside, Rui or Bamba on Jokic to defend in post-ups with AD able to be on the weak side, defending in the 2v3 and just able to absolutely erase any cuts to the rim or skip passes is my ideal situation. 
like I guess Bamba and AD, that duo in this series would rock. Because you're going to get the double team anyway, but Bamba's huge, so it's going to be hard to pass over, you know, out of that double team. And I'm not worried about Jokic having size on Bamba, weight on Bamba, because the double team's coming. And then if he's trying to make a skip pass, he has to go over one seven-footer and then over a second seven-footer, Anthony Davis, the best defensive player on the planet, waiting there, just trying to, you know, playing free safety, looking to pick balls off and knock some heads around if they try to cut. So... If you if once Bomb is healthy, and I think he'll be healthy at some point in the series, that's what I would be. I would want to get that group in. We just haven't seen it. I don't know if Ham will do it, but I think it would have a lot of success. Rui on Jokic gives you kind of the same setup for the post-ups. However, in ball screens, I don't want Rui in high drop. So I, th- I guess you just switch there. So not quite as good. With Bomba, you can play high drop, and I'm okay there. With Wenyan, you could do the same thing, but then offensively, you just don't have spacing. And with how good Denver's offense is, even with the Lakers having some of these built-in tactical edges, I think you still need to be scoring really well. And that impacts which lineups you throw out there and which players you're willing to give minutes. So from a big man rotation standpoint, you got to ride AD. When he, re- when he rests, I'd be playing Wenyan, be in high drop, have some rim protection. And then offensively, if Denver goes to a switch scheme then you still have those seals and the lobs and all the good stuff that we know is in the lakers playbook it's still available to them it won't just be lebron inverted ball screens which we saw struggle round one and have a little bit more success round two but not be as good either and they're playing they're playing green in the five minutes at uh Jokic sits right it'll be gordon and green right 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 generally both of them during that time so but that's That's beatable. I mean, I feel good about winning with those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, Bruce Brown might weird things up with his short roll stuff and, you know, just kind of he's, he's got some similar dynamic playing playmaking um, to to like a Draymond sometimes in the short roll. But it's not, you know, Steph and Clay on the outside kind of pulling guys. It's it's not totally like Golden State, but. There are elements of their uh, their shooting that it's it's a little bit below them. So it's like, you know, the challenges that come with defending some of these actions and maybe have a little bit. I don't know. Clay was pretty bad there (laughs) toward the end. So Uh maybe Porter Jr. can't be quite that bad. Yeah, no, he's in Porter Jr. is a really good shooter with him, though. Like, I think the idea of him is scarier to me than the reality of him. In reality, he's a he's a spot up shooter. He will cut, he will finish dump offs, and then in transition, he's really dangerous. He's not an ISO guy. He's not a post up guy. He's not a pick and roll player. His dribble handoffs have been really bad this year, and his off screen stuff is not high volume. He scored less than two points per game on off screen attacks this playoffs, less than one point per game that this this past series. So. I am not all that worried about like, oh no, we need to have a great on-ball defender or a great chaser on him. Like, I don't know. He's tall. You need someone that can put a hand up. But like, I'm not, if that guy is trying to go outside of himself to beat us, I'd say that is a good outcome for the Lakers compared to them picking the Lakers apart with like cuts and Jokic post-ups and Murray ball screens. So that's, I guess, a perspective that I'm trying to keep where it's like, all right, if this guy's trying to cook, as long as he's doing it in the wrong ways, I'm cool with it. If he's doing it in the ways he's usually good at, that means that you're not defending the Jokic post-ups well or the Murray ball screens well. Because if he's if he's getting 18 points on spot-ups, it's not because they're running the spot-up play. It's because they're running, you know, you, you're getting crushed with Jokic post-ups or you can't defend Murray ball screens. So right. he's more of a finisher, a recipient of the offensive engines that are Jokic and Murray. It'd be a symptom of the disease, right? And but mm-hmm. to your point, Tim, that's he's a high variance player. And guys like that, he could make six threes on eight shots, and seven of them could be, you know, contested. So he's one of these guys who can make tough shots um mm-hmm. with a with a big variance that can hurt you if you're, you know, defending some of those other things well. But Tim, let's take a quick break and we'll dive into the uh, Lakers offense. And again, if you want to hear more of this, go to Tim's YouTube channel and you can see the full scouting report. We'll be right back. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Tim, coming back here. What do you expect the lineup matchups for the Nuggets to be when the Lakers are on offense? So Jokic on AED, LeBron, probably Gordon. Uh, yep. And then from there, what what else do you think the Nuggets might roll out? Uh, so I would expect Murray probably on – well, so let's think about this. Probably KCP on D'Lo and Murray on Reeves. This is what I like, Tim, is one of those guys can spam pick and roll. Like whoever the Murray guy is, they can really attack him. And D'Lo or Austin can have an opportunity, I think, there. Um, not that you mm-hmm. don't want to go at KCP. He'll be put in ball screens. It's just he's a good, he's a good over the top guy. You know, we we know KCP. Yeah, yeah. KCP, he's uh he's interesting. I, I think several of these guys, because he and Bruce Brown, they're pretty good defensive playmakers. They're gonna jump passing lanes, they're gonna pick pockets, they're pretty good screen navigators, both on and off ball, but they're like stay in front of you. ISO defense isn't as good. So I could see D'Lo, I could see Schre- well, really Schroeder, Reeves, and Lonnie. I could see just kind of cooking those guys a little bit here or there, either you know, in spot ups or just one v one. Could have some opportunity there. Uh, D'Lo operating out of ball screens as a as a shooter or a facilitator, I think, is more the value that he provides. But, yeah, no, to, to your point, with that vanilla ice backcourt, one of those two guys can go at Murray, either in ball screens or 1v1. So that's always nice to have that versatility. You don't need to spend five seconds trying to get a switch off of a guard-guard ball screen or something like that. Um, interestingly, so looking at how Denver matched up with like Phoenix, how they matched up with Minnesota, it was like very standard, not very creative matchups. I don't expect to see anything crazy. Um, if Vando's on the court, I think they'll maybe consider, well, no, I guess they can't. They'll, they'll stick Porter on him because they try to hide Porter. Porter's in a a low activity role. I was going to say, maybe they try to hide Murray on him, but in the starting lineup, they won't do that. Um. Because then you have Porter trying to guard Reese or D'Lo, and that won't happen. So, yeah, I Porter, they'll try to hide. Murray, vulnerable on ball. KCP, really good screen navigator, still kind of vulnerable on ball. Jokic, really, really good from a like hedging standpoint, the elite defensive rebounder, but not a very good rim protector. And then Aaron Gordon rocks, dude. I love Aaron Gordon's defense. He's so switchy, but also really good on the, on the interior rebounding, but can hold his own on the perimeter. He's he's pretty solid, and I don't want LeBron trying to like post him up. I don't think that would go well. You still have ball screens though. Yeah, that might go well. Okay, so yeah, let's let's follow that thread then. So, um, putting Gordon in ball screens. I also love, like I said, the idea, and I think the Lakers went to this a lot more as the Golden State series went on, attacking the superstars on defense. Right, Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. I think his quote unquote bad defense can be overblown he's not good but he competes you know he communicates um but what it does is it 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 drains that energy bar right puts them in actions and if you can have both Jokic and murray in a a d'lo reeves ad pick and roll spamming it they get the guy in jail AD gets to string out behind Jokic a little bit further, brings him up. Then AD's in, you know, in front of Jokic for the offensive rebound. I think they can be really meticulous and in the in the mid-range um pick and roll game um with lobs over the top too cuz Jokic isn't the most vertical guy and as well as just those guys being able to operate comfortably uh in, in that space with Murray coming behind him. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. This is a Lakers half-court offense that has not played up to what it can do so far in the playoffs. The LeBron ball screens have not been good. The AD post-ups have not been effective. Both of those, I think, will get going this series. And having guys that you can just say, all right, it's his turn to try to play defense. You know, whoever Murray's guarding, whether it's D'Lo or, or Reeves, come set a ball screen for LeBron. We're going to get Gordon off of LeBron and LeBron a great matchup to post up, or we are going to get a show and recover to attack with a short roll or a ghost screen and then attack from there with 80 ready for a lob so Jokic can't actually leave him. And then we're going to see Reeves get layups or... If Vando's out there, Vando's guy will leave him alone, and then we'll see Vando shoot corner threes, which I don't want to see. Uh, don't speak that into existence. Well, what? Uh, let me know when you want to talk about Jared Vanderbilt because I have let's thoughts. do it. Let's do it, Tim. Because I think um, you know we saw that the lineup change in Game Six. It got them a win. I think it was probably two games too late. It was in my pre, my game three pregame uh, yeah. material. Uh, it was it was a few games too late, but I'm just I, better late than never, I guess. And but, hopefully, uh, they've learned some wisdom, Tom. Right. Uh, rather than ending the season on too many lessons, and hopefully, this can translate to to the next round. Because what, what is Jared Vanderbilt? What <laughs> what does he do? What does he do? He's a good on ball wing defender. That's not Michael Porter Jr. He's not a good screen navigator. I don't. I. I. To this, I don't know what film people are looking at to say he's a great screen navigator. He's a really good rotator. He's a really solid ISO defender. I think he's they a just really good. You know, jumping, you know, yeah, they think he competes, and but he doesn't take good angles. He gambles. Yeah. He bumps. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. He doesn't stop, uh, and carry, he carries his momentum in the guys. Yeah, he doesn't navigate around screens well when he's behind a screen trying to recover. Chief too frequently commits those fouls. It, he doesn't make sense on Murray. He doesn't make sense on Jokic. He doesn't make sense on Porter. The rest of this guy's on this team. You don't need him to defend them. He's not adding value. This isn't, oh, no, we need someone to stop Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or Kawhi Leonard. Like, the, val- the theoretical value he provides on defense is capped in this series because he's not the right guy for Murray or Jokic or Porter, given how those three play. And the rest of them, you just, it's, you know, you don't need it. You're paying a bunch of money for a solution to something you need just like a Band-Aid for. Um, and so on defense, yeah, he's good, but not enough to justify on offense how much he's going to hurt this team. And like when we look just that last series and we're going to see this ramp up more and more as you get deeper in the playoffs, especially against these teams that can't hang with AD as a role man because they don't have the, the vertical like rim protection. When Vando was on court with the starters, LA got to the rim 11% of the time. That's really bad. They're not going to beat Denver if they're getting to the rim 11% of the time. When he was off court, same same starters, 25% of the time. And that could even be better. With Rui on court instead of Vando, it was in the 40s. Wow. Like Four times. And that wasn't a huge sample. But if we just think through the skill sets, like, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, get it? This isn't a good Vando series. Last, last series, it was this isn't a good Rui series. That's over. I think we're now over to this is a very good Rui series with him being able to post up some of these smaller players that Denver has and being able to space the floor, being able to fight on the boards, being able to defend as a help defender in the post or a weak side defender against the the, the post help or the on-ball defender that's uh, receiving some teammate help against Jokic. Like, he makes so much more sense this series. I do not want to see the Lakers spend 20 minutes of Jared Vanderbilt time in the starting lineup and really muck up its efficiency because they won't win. I don't care if you've got a great defense. They can go into the series with a brilliant defensive game plan against the Murray ball screens, the Jokic post-ups. And then we're, we have to see Jared Vanderbilt attempt or turn down like eight open corner threes because LA can't drive or hit lobs because his guy's just leaving him alone. It's, I, it's time. Like I agree. I agree, but I do think it's important who that he's replaced with. And where I'm at right now, I I only really see it as Rui for this particular matchup. Um, I I think Dennis was great against Golden State. I think Dennis in a three guard D low Reeves, it, you're too small. You know, too small. At, at some point they're big. gonna get switched on to Aaron Gordon, and he's gonna get an easy bucket just being able to go around. You know, sixty percent of your lineup. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so. it's too against a heavy post up team that also has a guy as athletic and strong a finisher as Gordon, and both of those guys can be role men. You can't you can't play the three guard lineups in this this yeah. matchup. That's not viable. Yeah. So Rui, and if not Rui, I would have Brown. Yeah, he, that's he my shot well in his threes on the season. He did yeah. not shoot well in the small sample. He's his chaser defense. You don't have to worry about in the series. He's okay at it. He should be just fine on Porter from my perspective. And then yeah. offensively pr- opens up the floor a lot more than Jared Vanderbilt will. Yeah, I was thinking about Brown a lot and kind of where he's found himself out of the rotation. You know, we, we've brought him up on, on stream quite a bit, but I think he still has stuff left to give. And, and I think that's been one of the strengths of Ham and this team is being able to hit the right buttons to him. And, and for what it's worth, I've been super impressed with Ham, you know. Um, I think he's gotten to the right answers, uh, you know, sometimes a little slow, but he's been pulling the right buttons. And I think, so let me frame it this way, Tim, who's it going to be this series? Who do you got? Who's going to be a difference making role player, um, for one or two games that can help them change? Is it a Lonnie series? No, I don't think Lonnie is going to be very good in the series. And I'm very worried, Tim, that he's going to get, you know, 18 minutes in game one. Um, but I think, I think Troy could be a big, a big swing player for this, for this team. I agree. I think if I were to pick a role player, I'd say Rui, because I think the two way impact he could have in this series is, is kind of unique among the different, opponents he could be playing and the, the role he could have easily um, easily could make sense and i mean he might play easily. actually you know it, yeah i think it's reasonable and the thing is you still don't want to be too small but his shooting's pretty pretty damn good and he, well it should be in theory i, I like it, even even with the lakers he was a good handoff and off screen shooter um in theory, his shooting is very good, uh, and defensively, you're not worried about his on-ball defense as much, unless Murray tries to hunt him, which could very well happen. So, but his starting matchups, like I'm not concerned about him trying to guard like Christian Brown. Brown could, you know, he can he can score here and there, but it's not like oh no, we're putting him out there against Andrew Wiggins or against Clay Thompson or something. So, I think Rui is the guy I'd pick. I think Brown makes a lot of sense in this series as long as he knocks like a normal amount of threes down. Like if he, if he, if we could have a series worth of his regular season shooting where he's like a B, was he a B plus three point shot making guy? Perfect. That's all we need. It's not like he was an F on the year. We've got guys on this, this roster that were D's and F's on the year. He was one of the better ones. He had his ups and his downs just like everybody else. But I, I think he, you know, he can make some sense. So Rui and Brown up, Vando down, Lonnie probably also down this. Again, it's not a good three guard lineup series. And because of that, that, that cuts into his minutes because Reeves, D'Lo and Schroeder, I think should be very solidly ahead of him. And if you're going to play all three of those guys, like 30 to 35 minutes, and you only have 96 minutes between the, the two guard spots, you're out of minutes. So do you think they cut Vando out completely or you think he's a, a 10, 12 minute guy? I know what I want. <laughs> do you want him out completely? I, I want him out completely. Is there I, a I bench lineup that makes sense for him in, in any way? I don't I think I agree with you for what it's worth. I, I just wanted to talk through it. I don't think so. Like it's that bench lineup won't do well offensively. And we're bringing him in to guard you know, Jeff Green and Christian Brown. Like, I don't know. It's just, the, the value there isn't it, it, defensively. It's just not there. Maybe, you just need to not tank the offense. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you want to play young and, and athletic and, and get up and down, you know, in, in some of those minutes. That's the best argument I can make. You can't get up. If you, like, if After made not, baskets, you can run to him. <laughs> I guess so. The only way he so there is a world where he makes sense at some point in the series, and that is the Lakers tried high drop, didn't work. Now they need to switch. They can't like they just can't defend the ball screens unless they switch. So they throw him him in there to guard Murray and then switch the ball screens. That's the only path I see making sense. Where defensively, it's like okay, yeah, this is this makes a lot more sense. We don't want Reeves or Schroeder or Delo switching onto Jokic. To me, that's the only path where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's 
of if I'm picking a guy on the roster, that's the one. Any other yeah. scenario, I can point at a different guy that it makes more sense for what the job is. Yeah. Because the job's different series after series. And you just need to – you need the offense to be good enough that it can keep up with, with uh, not just Jokic, but Denver's offense. And LA had pretty good success against Denver on the year. Uh, their sets were pretty successful. When we look at their pick and roll game, they generated the second highest quality shots against the Denver's defense compared to all the other offenses that tried to attack Denver's defense. Um, I, I think they'll have, you know, their double drag should work. Their sp- spread step up ball screens against switching should work. I am fearful that Denver will realize that ice defense, which they didn't do much of in the regular season, worked well against the Lakers last round and will copy that. But we just saw the Lakers kind of solve this more than once in the same series against Golden State. So we've already answered that question. Just don't forget the answer. Yeah. And then you should be okay. Because if LA can get middle drives and AD is a lob threat and Jokic trying to jump with AD, it's going to be a problem for Denver. And if they try to stay home on AD so he's not a lob man, then you either let D'Lo or Reese or whoever get deep into the paint for layups or... You have to send help from the perimeter, and that opens up the kick-out threes or the, the LeBron stampede cuts. So middle drives are that key, and as long as you can beat ice defense if you see it, you should be able to get those middle drives. And this is a long Denver team. they got some dudes with some length and some size, but not that can jump with Anthony Davis, and that's the key. Lakers, yeah, Lakers have size too in, in, in comparison to a lot of these other teams. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them have gone home now, but... Uh, Tim, for for Vando fans out there, for what it's worth, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Vando. I like him a lot. Look forward to seeing what he can do next year. Mm-hmm. If the Lakers advance, they will need him. Full stop. Yeah, no matter him. who they yeah. face, so he will be very crucial to this team's long term success. He will need to stay ready, need to stay locked in, and we need to foster that. But I will say, Tim, I'm having a, a premonition. Okay. I've seen into the future when the mm-hmm. Lakers start Jared Vanderbilt and they go down 20 to eight in the first five minutes <laughs> and they're going to be down 13 at half and they're going to start Rui and they're going to come back and they're going to win the game. I just, I don't I'm know. into it. Yeah. It's and like then, a and fever dream. They're going to start Vanderbilt again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. No, I mean, I think it will say a lot once we get those starting lineups about how I feel about the game. Uh, Because, Tim, I think I'm at the point. Obviously, it's a long game. If they have a bad six minutes open, they can recover. I mean, depending on how bad, right? But if they keep putting themselves in, in that position, Denver's too good. They are too good of a basketball team to to come back from that. So... If Vando starts, I am not super optimistic about game one, but we will see, Tim. I don't know. We got a lot of awesome content out there this week. want to give a shout out to our man Johnny as well for helping us with the Discord on Twitter and socials, um, setting everything up, just being an awesome teammate. With you, Tim, as always, making awesome content. Man, it's a lot of stuff. Playback every other night. We got games on, scouting reports. Follow us, man. Check out all the awesome content we're making. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I just put up a bonus pod earlier today that went over. I, I answered a dozen questions. It was like a 33-minute podcast that folks in the Discord had about the series going into the series. So if if for whatever reason, these pods, the tweets, the playback streams, that's not enough for you and you want a little bit extra, check out that Discord. We got a lot of fun, high-quality discussion in there as well as some extra basketball content. If if you are interested in getting those bonus spots, you go to our lower bowl tier uh, and that's five bucks a month. You get access to those in our film room channel and the, the spreadsheet that I have that's tracking all the Lakers plays. If you want to up the, the ante, you can go to our $10 a month courtside tier and get access to everything I just mentioned, as well as uh, getting access to our uh, X's and O's courses. I think there are 13 recorded sessions, about like 20 hours of video content, bringing you from A to Z when it comes to like everything X's and O's. And then there's an arena sponsor tier. There's an owner's box tier. There there are a couple extra ones with different info and and cool stuff. 
want to shout out to our friends of the podcast. We've got Court Prowess for rocking out with the arena sponsorship, as well as to TJ Tomataji, Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to all those folks in the courtside and lower bowl crews. We've got like 120 people or something like that. Um, like enjoying the extra content. So go join that community. There's even, I think there's an additional like three, 400 people or so um, just in the discord. So go check that out. DM Tom, me, or uh, at Lakers X pod or Lakers X pod on Twitter, a five-star review of the podcast and get in there. Or um, you can also check out the link in my bio that shows the different tiers and what's in each of the different tiers. And you can go have some fun from there. If you, I'm, I'm, I've been putting up more YouTube videos I'm going to start posting those early for the folks in, in these different tiers too. So you get a, you know, a little early access instead of having to catch it with the, the rest of the dweebs out in the public. I've had some questions about posting the game playbacks on YouTube. That is a bridge too far for us. Sadly, it will get taken down. I guess you could put it up and they would monetize it, but... Hopefully you don't get a, a strike. Um, but we put up the playbacks that are a lot of the Tim, you know, scouting reports with presentations with film, but it's not a full game, you know. So mm-hmm. I did have a couple mm-hmm. people reach out about that. And I just wanted to mention that. So um, we'll do what we can. We'll maybe figure something out there, Tim. Yeah, yeah, we can. So I know on our end, we have access to like download the recordings. I know that's not yet on playback where, where viewers can do the same, but. I mean, if they want, like I could probably download it and like upload it to Google Drive and just give you a link. It won't be in like a clean platform. It doesn't get us any money or anything, but if people really want to enjoy it and they're in a different time zone and just can't see the game live, I don't think I have a problem with that. It's just these files are so big. Um, They are very big. Uh, Another reason (laughs) to get in on the Discord where we can continue the conversation, um, you know, throughout the week and you can connect with other fans. There's dozens of us, Tim. Uh, So... Yeah, thanks everybody. Good reference. (laughs) And uh, go Lakers. Talk to y'all next time. Mm